0: The Holy Gospel according to John, the fourth chapter. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you all for your willingness up and down, just a little bit of good exercise on this spring day. Good morning to all of you and welcome to worship today. If you are new around here today, my name is Steve. I'm one of your pastors here, and I'm really grateful for the chance to be with you here today and share what's on my heart with you. In fact today's a little bit a little bit different kind of message. What I'd like to do is share with you rather directly from my own heart and maybe a little bit from my own vantage point about our worship life together. One of the most central, perhaps the most central thing we do together as a people about our worship life and what I see coming in the future of our worship life together. Inspired at least in part by this conversation that we heard just a snippet of a moment ago, this is an excerpt from a long conversation that Jesus had. He was answering a question posed to him by a Samaritan woman. He said that the Father desires those who worship him in spirit and in truth. He was responding to a question that she asked, about two very long established worship practices taking place on two different hills. We Samaritans believe that God told us to worship on Mount Gerizim, on this hill up here in the middle, north middle of Israel. You Israelites say it should happen on Mount Zion, on the hill in South Judea, in Jerusalem. Which of these two hills are we supposed to worship on? Jesus kind of relativized both of these very well-established worship practices and put himself at the center. True worshipers will worship God neither on Mount Gerizim nor in Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth, and he reveals himself to this woman. Reading this passage in that kind of context, in this context here, actually takes me back to a conversation that I had that marked me in a certain way a long time ago. Almost 20 years ago, I was just starting out in graduate school and was talking with one of the other first-year students who had moved into a house with a number of other graduate students and was trying to navigate some conflict that came with sharing living spaces. If you've ever done that, you probably know just exactly the sort of thing that she was experiencing. And she was processing out loud about whether and how she might enter into a difficult conversation with one of her housemates about this situation. And I remember my first instinct was to say to her, Look, if you think that this is right, I mean, not just like I like it better, but there's something really right about the way that you think this needs to go and you need to enter into that. If it's right, then it's worth it. Because that's what she was asking. Is it worth it to engage in this one, or should I just live to fight another day? Should I just, you know, live and let live? It's fine. Uh, and I count on that if it's right, it's worth it. And she said, you know, I'm, she was wise about this. She said, you know, I don't know if that's really true. Not every hill is the hill worth dying on. And my mind went back to that wisdom as I heard the question that this Samaritan woman posed to Jesus about these two hills that people worshipped on and these two very established worship practices and how Jesus relativized them both. And it, it challenged me to think, and, and I think we would all be wise to be challenged a little bit to pray and consider about those things that are on the, uh, on the no hill to die on end of the spectrum, the things that we might hold lightly and the things that we might hold tightly And what are those things that we would hold tightly? And while we hold tightly to those, what are those things that we would be wise to hold lightly? And to get at that question a little bit, let me take you to another passage from the New Testament of the Bible that has been a central passage for me for many, many years now that would be over on that hold tightly end of the spectrum it comes from a different kind of context. It's a letter that St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to a church that he dearly loved in the ancient Turkish city of Galatia. It's a church that he had planted and felt very attached to, a church that had come into some difficulty and some controversy and some misunderstanding. And in this letter that we now call the Book of Galatians, a letter to the church in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, Paul pours out his heart and he says to them, It is as if I am in the pains of childbirth for you. Which is an interesting image because I'm pretty sure that Paul had never been in the pains of childbirth. (laughs) Maybe interesting that I relate to this verse. I have never been in the pains of childbirth. But Paul says to them, "It, it is as if I am in the pains of childbirth for you until Christ be formed in you. Until Christ be formed in you. And that phrase has captured a piece of my heart for many years now. I remember listening to another Christian teacher sharing and teaching it at one time and saying that that verse had become central to his vision for preaching and teaching, that he labors throughout the week and preaches on Sunday for the sake of his congregation that Christ be formed in you. And when I heard him say that, I could do no other than realize that that was actually true for me too, without having realized that that is the desire of my heart. And it is the desire of my heart for myself. I really want that Christ would be formed in me. I want the relationship with the Father that Christ had, the prayer life that Christ had, the patience and character. I really want for the people in my life, I want for the sake of my family and friends that Christ be formed in me. They need that to be true, I'll tell you what. I want that for the sake of our church and for the sake of our world. And when I just begin to think sometimes about if Christ were formed in our world, if, if more people were closer to God in the way of Jesus and formed in the character of Jesus, if we treated our friends and our enemies the way that Jesus did and knew God in the way that Jesus knew God, wouldn't our world be a better place? And I think about the desire that I think the non-Christian world has for the church that Christ would be formed in us, that they need and desire for a church formed in the way of Christ. And I want, for our life together, that Christ be formed in us and that that would be true of our worship. That we would come together and hear from the Scriptures and experience in the sacraments and experience in our confession and our life together just how good Jesus truly is. And that we would, by our worship together, be formed in Him and He formed in us And that those who are not yet followers of Jesus but who join us on Sunday mornings, that they would also come to find life in him. I truly want for Christ to be formed in us. And I have shared with you in some environments, and many of you have probably heard some of this before, I've had the opportunity to share with you a little bit of how I picture, how I imagine, how I envision that looks like when this happens among us. I can just see on a, on a Sunday morning, I can see a future for us when for each of us and for all of us together as a people, Sunday morning is increasingly the high point in the peaks and valleys of our, worship life, of our life together, that we look forward to Sunday together as a high point in the emotional and energy flow of our week. We can't wait to get back together and hear from God and praise God and be together again. That we come together with a, with a tangible sense, a, a palpable sense of interpersonal warmth and spiritual vitality. That I've, I've used this phrase and maybe you've heard me that every Sunday is a little bit like a church family reunion once a week where there's always room at the table for more. Where we are just so glad to see one another again and there's handshaking and backslapping and hugging and elbow bumping in the season of flu and coronavirus and whatever. We still care about each other. We're just so joyful to see each other. But we're not just here for a horizontal thing. We are here for a horizontal thing. There is love and joy in the community. But we're here to encounter God. To hear from the word of God. To pray to God. To confess our sins to God. To gather together around the table of God and the presence of God. We're here together for this, we're this tangible sense of personal warmth and spiritual vitality. I envision a time when all of the church's generations, including the six living adult generations, which are alive together at one time for the first time in human history, thanks to increasing life expectancies, all of our generations and our teens and our children are visible in some way together on Sunday mornings as participants and also even as leaders together because I think God is honored when the whole family of God comes together and we need each other young and old and in between. And as we gather together for worship, that we are all together engaged, right? We're not, just, we're not just recipients or consumers or observers, but engaged intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually by the content, by the music, by the art, by the sacraments, and by the preaching that God engages us. And that the gospel of Jesus Christ is proclaimed. And that people, all of us, are entering into the kingdom of God, sometimes for the first time and more fully all the time. And the result of all this is that God Almighty is honored. He is glorified. His reputation and fame is magnified among us. God is honored in our worship. And believers in Jesus Christ are strengthened and encouraged by the gospel And that those who are unbelieving guests among us, some of you are here for the first time today. This happens among us every single Sunday. If you are here for the first time, I hope that what you have felt is you have felt loved already. And I hope you will feel loved and welcomed among our church family. I hope you will feel inspired by the teaching and the image and the life of Jesus and the presence of his Holy Spirit. And I hope that you will in some manner feel intrigued by the life of our congregation I hope that somehow in, uh, in the minds and hearts of our guests that, that you will feel something like, if this is what Christian means to you people, then I'm interested in that. Tell me more about that. I want that for us, that Christ be formed in us. And I humbly believe that in some fashion, and I'm sure not precisely, but I humbly believe that God wants something like that for us. But I also am very aware that there are obstacles we face when we gather together for worship. We are human beings, for goodness sake. We are sinners. We are not perfect. I tell all of our new member classes, if you were looking for a perfect church, go somewhere else and ruin it when you get there, right? Because we're all sinners, right? So there are obstacles we face, and let's be comfortable with that, okay? Let me name a couple of our obstacles. The most obvious ones are also some of the easiest ones. I put a bunch of things under the heading of quality. We struggle with the quality of our engagement in many ways. By our dividedness, we have divided our efforts and our resources over three services and two different rooms in a worshiping population on one campus that isn't all that many hundreds and not thousands of people at one place. And by dividing our resources that way, we struggle with the care for our facilities, our rooms, our technology. We just recently, because of a move toward unity, replaced the projector that you're seeing, and I've heard from so many of you how much you appreciate the brightness and the clarity of the image there, that that's been helpful. Our sound systems are uneven and aging, and there are good spots and bad spots around the room. Everybody has their favorite place to sit, and I just wonder if it's because the open spots are the places where it sounds bad. I don't really know, but that happens, right? Right? And you can't see it from here, but I can see that half of you are sitting in the light and half of you are sitting in the dark because it's uneven around the room. We struggle with some of those kinds of things. I'll be candid with you that we struggle with some of our planning processes. When our pastors and our worship planners get together throughout the week, and particularly for our central worship planning meeting every week on Monday afternoons, we are just not able to give the creativity and the intentionality and the thoughtfulness to all of our services that they all deserve that helps make our services as engaging in content, music, art, and preaching as we desire for them to be because there's a division of our efforts. And that's just a challenge for us. One of the biggest ones that, that, that bothers me is the quality of care that we pastors and staff provide to the wonderful volunteer service and leadership teams that serve so sacrificially and faithfully. I have in mind our, our communion servers, our readers, our choirs, our technical production teams, our ushers, our greeters, our hospitality and coffee and all, of the, all these teams, those of you who are on these teams, thank you for goodness sake so much for your wonderful and faithful efforts. We as leaders don't equip these teams with the clarity and the pastoral care and the support and the help to build these teams that I believe that we could and that I believe that we should. Because there are so many teams in so many different venues. Some of them choose to email and some choose to phone call and some use web tools and some communicate weekly and some communicate monthly. And our staff and pastors are always frustrating our teams by choosing the wrong systems. We just have trouble caring for our teams the way that I wish that we could. As we move toward greater unity, particularly in our 10:30 hour and together into this room that we all share, some of these are the kind of problems that we're going to overcome more quickly. And those are going to be big wins that we're all going to appreciate. Everybody likes it better when we can see better and when we can hear better. When we can invest in our sound systems, our technology, everybody wins. Everybody wins when our pastors and our leaders invest more focused energy and creativity and intentionality in our worship service. This is a situation that benefits everybody. It'll be a little bit slower as we try to invest more in our teams and help put some of our 1030 teams in particular together and I imagine there'll be some crossover with our nine o'clock teams. That takes longer because these are human systems. But I hope that all those who serve will benefit spiritually and be able to serve with more joy and added effectiveness and, and built up teams because we're able to invest in our teams better. There's another layer of challenge that we face that I think is a little bit deeper and more challenging than this. And these are at the level of of unity and identity together as a church. And, and the truth, the uncomfortable truth is that we harbor some mutual suspicions about each other. Not everybody, not all the time, and I don't even blame anybody for feeling this way. But we talk to people, I do, our other pastors and leaders and volunteer leaders, and I hear from people if you ask, so what service do you go to? What do, what do you love about your service? I go to the service where we really... We honor God who is holy and it's it's reverent, it's theological and it's thoughtful and it's serious and worship here in my service is not entertainment. Well this implies that we think other things about other groups of Christians who gather for worship in our church. Or ask somebody else about why they like their worship service and we really center the grace of God and we know that God welcomes everybody and Jesus runs after the broken. And we know that you can come as you are and that children are welcome in our services and that whole families are welcome in our services and, and, and we build strong community among us. And I think, does that imply that there are other places in our church where not everybody is welcome and we don't center the grace of God? And Are these the things that we want to think about each other? And I don't scold or fault anybody for getting into patterns of thinking like that. In fact, I take responsibility for it. I think that as, as pastors and, and leaders in our church, we have helped to create and maintain and support systems that, that almost inevitably lead toward the fostering, the harboring of these kinds of suspicions. And, and as a pastor, I repent of that. I don't, I don't think that... I think it will be increasingly difficult to the point of impossible for us to engage and participate in the mission of God to a hurting and broken world... and to a world where the challenges to Christian mission are increasingly difficult with every passing year... I think it's going to be increasingly hard for us to share together and participate together in mission... as long as we suffer for that kind of health inside of our community. And I think that perhaps to go even a level deeper on this and to try to get at some of what can help us heal... that we have not only sorted ourselves a little bit by style and by generation, observably so, or by kind of cultural or musical preferences. But there's a theological thing that's happened here. There's a theological root to this. I think that at our best, as, as best as I've been able to tell, spending now coming up on two years as the senior pastor here, that at our best, over many decades, UALC has drawn from the strengths of several powerfully good historic Christian streams or traditions. On the one hand, I think UALC has drawn from the strengths of evangelical Christianity. We believe in the life-changing power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that saves us now and forever. And we have heard the good news of God's life-saving, life-transforming grace for ourselves. We have experienced it, and we desire fervently that those who did not know Jesus would come to know him. We want to share the gospel with others. And together with evangelical Christians around the world, we have a very high degree of trust in the truthfulness and the reliability of the canonical Christian scriptures, also known as the Bible. We draw deeply from this well, and it is a strength of ours. We also, at our best, we draw from the sacramental streams of Christianity. We are not just uh, bra- we're not just brains on sticks that hear words and ideas and learn truths, but we believe in an embodied form of Christianity, where in physical things like the waters of baptism, we believe that God has been at work to join us to Jesus and incorporate us into his family, that we would be, as the scriptures teach, united with Jesus in a death like his, so that we would also certainly be united with Jesus in a resurrection like his. And we are Christians who gather regularly together at the Lord's table, Where we gather together to the presence of Jesus and receive from him in tangible ways that we can touch and smell and taste the very presence and grace of God. Where the body of Christ is given to us in a miraculous way that also then makes us the body of Christ. And sends us out to participate in the mission of God as the ongoing incarnation of the body of Jesus in the world. And we as sacramental Christians have this, this, this belief, this practiced habit to believe and understand that worship is a formational activity, that the way that we worship forms our minds and our hearts and our imaginations, that the habits and structures of how we worship actually shape what we believe and how we act. And not only are we formed by this stream of Christianity, but we at UALC are also formed by the charismatic stream of Christianity. That we believe that God is very much alive and well. Thank you very much. That his Holy Spirit is still alive and speaks to us. That when we gather together and seek the direction of God for our individual lives and for our church. That we pray and try to discern the will of God for us. And we believe that God wants to lead us. And we believe in the power of healing prayer and prayer ministry. We believe that the Holy Spirit of God is still alive and well to, he- to provide healing for us in body, mind and soul. And every single one of the poles of this triangle have their own excesses and their own malformations and their own weaknesses. And we are at our best, I believe, when we are drawing from the strengths of all three of these. One thing that I think can happen when we have sorted ourselves into the different worshiping communities that we're in... ...is not only have we sorted ourselves by generation and stylistic and cultural preferences... But we've also kind of gathered together with people who share some of our own predilections on these things. And each of our services can be drawn toward one pole or another. And there are wonderful things at each end of this triangle. But what happens when we give up on the other strengths is that our very picture of God starts to get a little bit out of balance. A little bit distorted. Not wrong, just out of shape. Like when you go to a carnival and get a caricature picture drawn of yourself and you wind up with God having a very large chin and a receding forehead or something like this. Our picture of God begins to center on one of these things but we lose the strengths of all of them. Probably more than anything else, this is the sort of thing that I had in mind about a month ago. Many of you will have received the uh, email that we send out with uh, the unvarnished video series that I share with you about once a month or so. There's not a fixed schedule. And I was sitting right back there toward the back of this center aisle and shared a, shared a, a vision for how we come together in worship. And I said, bottom line, why are we doing this? Because I fundamentally believe that we are better together than we are apart. That we can do better in terms of our resources and our technology and our facilities and our rooms and our planning and our teams. But even more than that, we can better embody the Jesus-loving, grace-sharing, God-honoring, united, intergenerational community that God has called us to be. That we are just better together than we are apart. Now let me just say something in particular to our traditional service. Because this is the service that is going to experience the least amount of change coming up, right? We're we're investing in our traditional worship service. We believe that this is beautiful. We believe that this is evangelical in the best sense of the term, sacramental and charismatic in the best sense of the term. And in many ways, the changes that we are proposing are a big win for most of us who are in this room. The whole church family is gathering together in this sacred space that we have honored and loved so much over the years and has so much history to our community. Because of this move toward unity and gathering this room, we're able to invest more resources in a brighter, clearer projector. We're going to have better, clearer sound systems. We experienced this when we did this in our mill-run campus and put in a new sound system Every generation from youngest to oldest, afterward, said, I can hear so much better now. It's so much clearer. A woman came up to one of our worship leaders afterward in tears. This is the first sermon I've understood in 10 years because the sound quality got better. I can't believe she was still coming. Praise God for the grace. <laughs> now that she understands them, she's stopped coming, actually. The sermons are terrible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't mean to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> As we've done our worship surveys and gathered together focus groups, it seems to me that when it pertains to our traditional worship service, one of the greatest concerns that we would have here would have to do with some of the facility things that we might change. And we did some experimenting a couple of weeks ago and put up some temporary platforms on both sides. And uh, We certainly never meant to give anybody the impression that those temporary ramshackle platforms would represent the, the long-term view. That's not the case. In fact, our worship planners, to a person, every single one, understands and not only understands but really treasures and values and argues for the centrality of the central imagery of this room, that the cross would remain visible and central. We believe that altar and font and pulpit speak to us about the ways of the means of grace, the means by which the Holy Spirit creates and sustains us together as a community. We think, that we, we think that these railings that go all around here, these front rails and also this back rail, are, are a very valuable place for us to gather together in the circle of a family and share the Lord's table and to pray together. So these are all things that we value. Would we change the shape of a little bit of it? Maybe. But do we value what's happening here? Absolutely. That's a, that's a real value that we're going to be pursuing One of the challenges we face up here is that these stairs are really narrow and steep. I've been told there are people who get nervous when I start standing like this that I'm going to fall down them. And if you've ever seen our communion serving teams coming up and down before or during the service, it's a little bit of a nerve-wracking experience. I think we can, there I did it again just now. I think that we can, I felt it. I I think that we can probably broaden this out a little bit. We can increase the flexibility of our space. I would love to have the ability to be high enough for you to see me, but also be an awful lot closer to you. But when I come way down here, I'm risking feedback and also being way too low. I think there's some things that we can do to improve our space up here. We're going to be, we're working on getting some drawings that we want to get feedback from the whole congregation on. Because I think our future is a future that we can build together. And I think it's a beautiful one. And so I want to just leave you with this. There's a little voice in my head that imagines asking you to look forward to the future and say, You know what? Trust me, you're going to like this. But I don't like saying that because it sort of positions you as a passive recipient or a consumer. And neither you nor I want that for one another. I want to instead ask you, I want to invite you into prayer and engagement as we build this future for UALC and for our Lytham Road campus and our Lytham Road community together. That you would pray and ask God, what do you want to do in my heart through this season? How, how do you want me to grow in such a way that Christ be formed in me? Are, are there ways that you want me to participate differently, Lord, in the singing and the praying and the sacraments of the service? Are there ways that you're calling me forth into greater service? Into serving on a communion team or as a reader or in a choir or as an usher or as a greeter? The way that we serve and build the body together. Uh, honestly right now our kids church team is really struggling our, our kids are not getting the best experience in recent history at our kids church because our adult volunteer teams are are too thin and for some of you you may be like that's not my service right now in this time of my life and that's fine but it may be that God is putting it on the heart of some people to invest in our next generations as Bible storytellers or hospitality volunteers or something like that uh, I'm not prescribing any of this for anybody but I think that the prayer that I'd encourage you to pray is a prayer that I learned from a mentor of mine and a prayer that I pray with some regularity. Just, God, what do you need to do in me? Do whatever you need to do in me so that you can do what you want to do through me. I think this is a season in which we can all grow, in which Christ can be formed in us individually and in which Christ can be formed in us together as a church community. And I believe that the future toward which we are walking, is beautiful. That we are moving from a good present to a better future and that that future will be the most beautiful and the most Christ-like if we link arms and work toward it and march toward it and build it together. I think if we come together, linked arms shoulder to shoulder, whatever that metaphor is, I think together we can take this next hill that's in front of us together, this next hill toward which I believe that God is leading us. I invite your prayers and your participation in that. Let me now pray for us together. Good and gracious God, I thank you so much for the powerful and beautiful and wonderful work that you have done in UALC over so many years for the lives that have been changed and the witness to Christ that has been born, for the worship that has been gathered, for the praises that have been offered to you. And I pray that you would just continue to lead us and work in us and through us We open up our hands and open up our hearts to you in surrender. We say your will be done. Lord, teach us, lead us, chart the path forward for us. Be before us like a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Lead on, Lord, and we will follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.